And I do invite you to turn with me to Matthew. Continue to look at the promise of Advent. Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin reading verse 18. Now, Lord, open Your Word to us. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. And now, Lord, open our eyes. Don't let us be lost in the hurry and in anticipation of the rest of this day, but let us hear from you. Amen. Well, this really is a follow-up of last week's message from Luke chapter 1, where we saw things from Mary's perspective. Mary, a young girl pledged to be married. She's never been with a man sexually to this point, and yet... She is told she will bear God's Son. That's mind-blowing. And it had blown her away. You remember she asked the question, How? Uh, Luke one thirty-four. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And with a costly faith and obedience, Mary's response was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And I say costly obedience because, frankly, who's going to believe her? Evidently, not her husband-to-be, Joseph. He plans to dump her and move on with his life. And that's where we pick up the story here in Matthew's Gospel. With Joseph's heartbreak and extremely difficult dilemma. I mean, just put yourself in his shoes in verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, a kind of engagement, but even more so, Joseph, um, before they came together, she was found to be with child, Through the Holy Spirit. Now again, put yourself in that moment. Can you feel the anguish Joseph must have felt? Uh, Betrothal, as I say, is a bigger deal than engagement is today. It it was a legally binding situation. The the first step uh, toward marriage. 
the purpose of the betrothal period was to ensure sexual purity within the marriage and to establish a solid foundation for a lifelong union between the young couple, usually very young, uh, perhaps only meeting uh, during that first stage. Uh, the betrothal had two stages. First, there was the kedushin or betrothal period, and then there was the hoopah, uh, the wedding itself. Uh, the whole thing, from beginning to end, was very public. It was a community affair. I mean, everyone who cared about them was involved. Uh, the kedushin, the betrothal, began with a big celebration as the boy and girl were pledged to one another in a public way. Uh, from that point on, uh, she would be considered to be his wife, and he would be called her husband. Uh, they were bound to each other in such a way that to, to separate at this point would require a legal divorce. And yet, for that whole first year, uh, they would not live together as husband and wife. They would not be allowed to spend time alone. Uh, there would be not any of that kind of contact. Why? Well, because this really was a getting-to-know-you period, a, a time for building up their relationship in the context of their family. In fact, it was her father's job culturally uh, to guide them through this process and to ensure her sexual purity right up to the day of marriage. And for that matter, it was the groom's responsibility to make sure that he treated her in a way that was honorable. Uh, Jewish writing from this period uh, says it is not honorable for a man who worships God to sleep with his wife-to-be before the wedding. So there's all kinds of cultural requirements built around this safeguarding of marriage and strengthening of the marriage bond. And Joseph is an honorable man. Uh, he'll spend these months preparing a home for them that they will share together once they end uh, the betrothal and come to the hoopah, the wedding itself, and he's able to take her home finally as his wife. He prepares a place for them. He visits Mary when he is able, getting to know her. No doubt falling in love with her. But now this. Before they came together, it says, and it's a technical term, before the hoopah, before he, he takes her to her home and they consummate the marriage and now they are finally, fully husband and wife before that. And so they're still in the kedushin. They have not yet come together in that way of marriage. There's been no hoopah, no celebration when her father takes and publicly hands her to Joseph to be his bride. Before all of that, Mary is found to be with child. Uh, that word found in even uh, pictures uh, a, a surprising or shocking discovery. How do you measure the heartbreak of that moment? Mary has been unfaithful. That's what it looks like. That has to be his conclusion. So Joseph is done. I mean, there's no way he can marry her now. Even if he really wanted to, culturally, this would be seen as a disgrace to him personally, a slap in his face. He'll be the laughingstock of the entire community. That's just how it worked in those days. Not only is her honor blown, but his manhood is now in shambles. Legally, culturally, Joseph has no choice but to separate himself from her as quickly as he possibly can. Because this is an outrage. And according to Jewish law, he is actually required, once this is exposed, to expose her. 
and walk away from her. To fail to do so, in fact, would put suspicion on him as being the father. It could even open him up to all kinds of legal entanglements, uh, possibly the consequence of having to pay her father uh, uh, for violating the marriage contract that he had with him. I mean, it's a mess. In fact, it was more serious than that, even legally, according to Jewish law, she should face the death penalty. Deuteronomy 22, verse 21, was very specific. If there was a young woman pledged to be married and it was discovered that she had been sexually unfaithful, it said they were to bring the young woman to the door of her father's house and the men of the city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. This was a serious matter. In fact, the only reason the death penalty is not on the table here is because Rome had conquered the Jewish nation and taken away their ability to carry out such penalties. And so it says in verse 19 that Joseph, her husband, and we would read that husband-to-be, that is, did it differently, her husband-to-be, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to an open shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now notice we are told he is a righteous man. That means a lot of things. For one thing, it means he's a law-abiding man. He's, he's a man who's going to be faithful to God's law. Part of that would mean he can't take her as his wife now. He must apply the law in this situation. Um, and he is determined to do so. But we note he is also a compassionate man. The cultural expectation, beyond the word itself, the cultural expectation would have been for him to expose her as publicly as possible. Uh, let her be held up in the community as an example of shame. Let her be expelled from the community. That's the only way to get the stink off him and make sure it all lands on her. But he can't bring himself to do that. No matter how betrayed he may feel, he doesn't want to do that, so he plans to put her away secretly, the word means. Probably based on Deuteronomy 24.1, where in the presence of two witnesses, a man could hand his wife, or in this case, wife-to-be, a certificate of divorce, and send her away. Two witnesses were all that would be required, and she would then, from then on, uh, live alone, uh, probably never to marry, always bearing the shame of what she's done, but it wouldn't be broadly distributed. My point in describing all this is for you to see, this is a really hard place God has put them in. And remember the bigger picture here. God is the one who put them in this place. And we know that because we've read the Scriptures. We've seen the story. And we're kind of okay with it because, you know, we know how the story ends. They don't. Listen. God will put you in some very difficult places on His way to carrying out His will in and through your life. To put it bluntly, you can be smack dab in the middle of God's will doing everything you can to be faithful and yet still find yourself trapped in a situation that feels like you have no options. Isn't that where Joseph is? Yeah, God's going to come through eventually, but He doesn't do so immediately or on your preferred timetable. And yet He demands that you trust Him in that hard place, that you learn patience and prayer and faith, sometimes in the dark, 
And only when the time is right does he finally let the light shine through. That's where Joseph is at this moment. Bewildered, hurt, anger, unsure what faithfulness requires at this point. So here he is seeking God with a broken heart. Feeling surely that all of his plans are dashed to the ground. Verse 20 uh, pictures him considering these things. It means mulling over them, stewing over them. I mean, what anguish of soul must he felt in that moment? But it's then that God sends him a comforting word through the angel, which brings us to the second thing to notice, and that is just God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness, His faithful assurance of a promise kept. Verse 20, But as he was stewing over these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So God steps right into the middle of Joseph's storm-tossed night by giving him this vision of an angel. Hey, don't expect it to work exactly that way with you. right? In fact, Joseph, interesting, is going to be guided a number of times in Matthew by a dream of an angel. Well, God will guide you, as also, God will guide you also, but normally through the clear teaching and guidance of Scripture, the counsel of godly friends and so forth. But He does guide. He does answer when we cry to Him and wait for Him to come through. Because, here's the first thing here, because God is always faithful. He is always faithful to work in our lives even when we can't see how. I mean, just think of the providence that's been at work in Joseph's life up to this point to bring him to this place. How did he meet Mary? What led to their engagement? We have no idea. But here's what we do know. God has worked all these things in Joseph's life to bring him to this place at this time so that he is the right man to carry out this task in obedience to God. God has prepared him. God has prepared him as a righteous man so that when push comes to shove, he's going to do the right thing. God has developed His character, no doubt through many trials before this, uh, through His parents, uh, through His religious upbringing. And now through this specific call to faith and obedience. God has been preparing him. I wonder, you who, especially younger people in this congregation, I wonder how God may be preparing you now for what He has prepared in your future. But then also, notice God has prepared His heritage. Notice what the angel calls Him. Joseph, son of David. Yeah, you know that's important. Right? Jesus the Messiah must be a descendant of King David, and not just physically through Mary, but also legally through Joseph. And that's, that's the point of the genealogy. We didn't read it, but Matthew 1 begins with a genealogy uh, for uh, Joseph himself. And so just think of that. Think how God has guarded and guided that lineage all the way down from Abraham through King David to Joseph for this very moment. God has a big plan and He is working that plan for our good and His glory. Never doubt that. If you're in Christ, you are part of that 
plan and what God has planned for your good, He will carry out for His glory as time continues to unfold. That is our assurance in Christ. Which brings us, second, to God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to bring this mess together for our good and His glory. Again, verse 20, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, do not fear. Well, there that is again. Uh, We saw it last week with Mary. We read it earlier uh, to the shepherds. Do not fear. When the world turns topsy-turvy, we do fear. But if God is near, and if God is faithful... We have no reason to fear. Joseph, do not fear. What? To take Mary as your wife. To go through with the wedding. To embrace her and cherish her. Why not? Oh, because she's not an adulteress, Joseph. She has not betrayed you. Um, Joseph, she's telling you the truth. She's kept her promise. Don't you imagine she'd tried to explain that? Joseph, an angel visited me. You've got to believe me. Yeah, right. Who could believe such a thing? It is preposterous. He knew that. Well, that is until he gets his own angelic visitation and these words of awesome assurance. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. (sighs) Can you imagine the relief that must have flooded his soul in that moment? Can you imagine the amazement? This child is from the Holy Spirit, meaning coming out from Him, brought down by Him. Uh, Just as the Holy Spirit was the agent of God's work of creation in Genesis 1-2, now He is the agent of God's work in the incarnation, of bringing God's Son down into the womb of the Virgin Mary where God became flesh to dwell among us. Just as the angel had told Mary in Luke 1.35, you know, you're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Story confirmed. Joseph, don't be afraid. Why? Because it's true. She's not lying. She hasn't betrayed you. No, God is up to something very big here. God the Father sent God the Son to... uh, Sorry, let me back up on that one, lest I get my, my theology wrong. God the Father sent God the Spirit to place God the Son into the womb of the Virgin Mary in order to keep His ancient promise of sending us a Savior. And so there's a twofold promise keeping here. First, she has kept her promise. She's been faithful, Joseph. Second, God is now keeping His promise made through all the prophets. Which is the third thing. God's faithfulness then is confirmed in keeping His promise to send us a Savior. Again, verse 21, She will bear a son. You'll call His name Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had 
promised, had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, The language to Joseph is a direct echo to what the angel had earlier told Mary. You remember that? Luke one thirty one. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here to Joseph, it is, uh, she has conceived, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Notice, by the way, it is specifically and ultimately Joseph now being commanded to give Jesus His name. That's significant. I said before, if He is the Messiah, then Jesus must be the legal heir of Joseph, son of David, in order to have a rightful claim to be an heir of the promise given to King David. That must come through his father. But remember, Jesus is not Joseph's son physically. In order to become Joseph's son legally, well, there must be an adoption. By naming Jesus in this way, probably at his circumcision, Joseph will be making a legal claim. This is my son. This is my heir. Joseph, you must give him his name, and his name will be Jesus. Oh, not just any old name, but this particular name, Jesus. Why? Well, because names matter in the Bible. Especially when God gives them. Uh, These God-given names often tell us who this person will be. And this will be Jesus. Yeshua. Joshua is the Old Testament version, but in Hebrew, Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Yeshua. Yahweh will save. Yahweh is salvation. That meaning confirmed by the angel himself. You call this name Jesus. Why? Because this is what he's going to do. He's going to save his people from their sins. He will do it. There's an, there's an emphatic emphasis here. Um, this child, he and he alone, will save us from our sins. That's who he is. That's why he came. I mean, do you understand what an incredible statement this is? Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, it is God alone who is the Savior of His people. It is God alone who saves. But now, all those promises of salvation are being invested in this child who has come down to us. God in the flesh will save us from our sins. But how? God's answer comes throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah says it this way, but He will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him will be the chastisement that brings us peace. And by His wounds, we are to be healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned aside, every one of us to His own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That promise of salvation is being fulfilled here and now through this little child. He will save us from our sins. He will save us from the penalty of our sin. He will save us from the punishment of our sins. He will save us from the shame of our sins. Again, this is why He came. This is what He does. Let me ask, has Jesus done this for you? Has He saved you from your sins? Has He saved you from your selfishness? Has He rescued you from your lying and cheating? Has He he saved you from your pornography? 
from your bitterness, from your promiscuity? Has He saved you from your materialism and your unforgiveness? Friend, this is why He came. To set us free from these things that we might walk in new life with God. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring you to God. Has He brought you to God? Have you seen Him for who He is so that you've embraced Him by faith for this promised salvation? All this took place, it says, all of it to bring you to this point so that you could see and believe. In fact, notice what the angel says in verse 22. All of this, the whole of it took place to fulfill what the Lord had promised to the prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And that's exactly, that's exactly what God said was going to happen back in Isaiah. Uh, by the way, Matthew's Gospel is full of these little statements like this. This was to fulfill what God said. Why does Matthew say that so often? Oh, to make sure we get it. To make sure we understand that the coming of Jesus was not an unexpected glitch in history. That it is the confirmation of God's faithfulness throughout long years of promise, all of which are to be fulfilled with the coming of Christ. Including this promise. Isaiah 7.14 is the passage quoted. Originally, if you go back to Isaiah 7, you'll see that this was a promise made to a wicked king named Ahaz. Ahaz was not faithful to walk with God, not by a long shot. Uh, Ahaz had failed to lead the nation in righteousness and it, it got him into big trouble. Uh, two terrible kings, more wicked than he, and that took some doing, uh, had come against him in an effort to dethrone him, to end his line, which is the line of David, put someone else on the throne and defeat Jerusalem. But God had other plans. God had plans for Ahaz, son of David, because of his lineage, and he had plans through him for Jerusalem and the kingdom of God ultimately. And so God sent the prophet Isaiah to assure this wicked king that God would indeed save him from this awful mess he'd gotten himself into. But Ahaz refused to believe it. And so Isaiah 7 verse 11, the prophet commands him to seek a sign, to ask God for a sign to confirm the promise. Because the prophet wanted to assure the king that God means what he says and will do what he promises. But the king refused. Obstinately, he refused to obey God's word. And so in response, Isaiah gave this prophecy. I'm reading Isaiah 7 verse 13 to 16. And he said, Hear then, O house of David... Is it too little for you to weary men that you must also weary God? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call Him Emmanuel. Verse 16, And before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread, they will be defeated. And so there was, there was something happening then and there the prophet needs to address in that context that they were living in. This promise meant that a child soon to be born, and the word used there, Alma, 
It usually means virgin, but can also mean a young woman. When we get to the New Testament, we're using a word parthenos, which only means a virgin. But in that original context, there's, there, there, it can go either way. And, and so the prophet commands him that there's a woman who's going to bear a child. And before that child grows up, uh, three years old, uh, old enough to tell right from wrong, before that child reaches this age of looking around and saying, I'm doing right, I'm doing wrong, these two kings that you fear... Dude, they're going to be dead. They're not going to be a problem for you. Which, go back and read the history. It's exactly what happened in Isaiah's day. That part of the prophecy was fulfilled then and there. And yet, as so often happens with prophecy, there were deeper things happening. There was a deeper message at work. Not all that Isaiah prophesied fits so easily into what happened in Ahaz's day. For that matter, uh, the, the birth of a virgin. There's a reason that Isaiah emphasizes that. He, he left room for the fulfillment in Ahaz's day, but there was something bigger. There was something more important. There was more to this story on a deeper level. God wanted Ahaz to know and He wanted His people to understand that God was not finished with them yet, not by a long shot. He would not let them be destroyed. He would not let David's line come to an end because God had promised bigger things. One day a virgin, a true virgin, would conceive without the help of any man and she would give birth to a son like no other. Not only a child whose name was Emmanuel, but a child who would himself truly be Emmanuel. God with us. God dwelling among us in the flesh. And so the nation had to survive. The nation had to survive this present threat. Not because Ahaz was a good king and deserved to be rescued. He wasn't. But because God is a faithful king and all of His promises are kept to the letter, He wasn't done with them. He would bring His Son through them. And now fast forward 700 years. And the angel looks at Joseph in his dream and says, that time of fulfillment with the birth of Emmanuel through a virgin, that day has arrived. Isaiah's ancient prophecy, and oh, by the way, 300 others just like it, are about to be fulfilled in the birth of this child. God is keeping His promise to the letter. Messiah is coming. Like He said, Emmanuel, God with us, is here. Romans 15 verse 8 says that Jesus came into this world, among other reasons, to confirm the promises given by God. That is, His coming proves that God is faithful that He will always do everything He says He will do. That is, by the way, why we have 310 direct quotes from the Old Testament sprinkled throughout the New Testament. Why? So that we can see it. We can see God's faithfulness at work. We can, we, we, we can, we can see uh, with unspeakable confidence that God's infallible word of promise will always be fulfilled. It is to let us see that everything God says He will ever do, He keeps in His word. And that's important for us to see here. As much as we want to see the incarnation and the coming of Christ into the world, we need to see how faithful God is. Because, listen, this is where faith begins. The Christian faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Just hoping there's something out there to catch you before you fall. No, the Christian faith is trusting the sure promise of a faithful God. 
A God who cannot lie, a God who never has lied, a God who has proven His faithfulness again and again and again, always keeping His Word. That, too, is the assurance we find at Christmas. And so Joseph believes God and obeys God, not because he's some naive country bumpkin who will fall for just about anything, but because he is a righteous man who knows that God is faithful and he knows that God will keep His Word. So the angel says, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because God is keeping His promise here. Which is the last thing, very quickly. Notice then Joseph's faith-filled response of costly obedience. Verse 24 and 25, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. That means he, he took her to be his wife officially. He, he made her his wife. They would have had some kind of hoopah and they would have officially now, we are married, husband and wife. But, verse 25, he knew her not physically until she had given birth to a son. And as he was commanded, he called his name Jesus. He did it. He took her as his wife. He went through with the wedding. He, he believed God's word and took Mary as his wife, no matter what the cost. And there would have been costs. Uh, by publicly embracing her, he now risks his own reputation and standing in the community. But he didn't care. Because Joseph is a righteous man. And a righteous man is willing to do the right thing, no matter what the cost. Hey, Never forget, faith is always costly. You understand that? It's always costly. Salvation is free, but faith in Christ will cost you everything. You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Him. So Joseph took up Mary as his wife, but, got to come back to this, knew her not until she gave birth. That's important, right, to the story? Because Mary was a virgin. Up until the day Jesus was born. It's an important part of this prophecy. We've got to make sure we see that. But after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary would have had a natural marital relationship. Sons and daughters will be born to them. Uh, you can read that in Matthew 12 and Matthew 13. So understand Mary was not a perpetual virgin. That's simply Middle Ages mythology. Joseph, true to his word, took her as his wife. Joseph, true to his word, publicly claimed the child as his own, gave him the name Jesus. The name Jesus, that name which is above every name, before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our Savior. Father, thank You for this little slice of real life. As we read these stories, don't let us think about these men and women as just sort of coasting through these events as though they were no big deal. We've read it a thousand times. They experienced it for the first time. And it was filled with anguish. It was filled with fear. It was filled, filled with uh, all the emotions that we have because that's the kind of people we are. And yet, despite the roller coaster they must have gone through, they found God to be faithful, to be faithful, to be faithful. To keep His Word, His ancient Word to Isaiah uh, and His present Word then and there to Joseph and to Mary. 
And then through them and their costly obedience, You have brought us a Savior who we now can see is faithful to us. So help us, Lord, bring our cares, our fears, our uncertainty, all that we are, the mess that we have and that we have made, and put it at Your feet, knowing that You will faithfully save all those who are Yours, all those who trust in You and in Your Son, because He came for this purpose He came to save His people from their sins. In Jesus we ask. Amen.